Chris, the Dating Doc here with the Dating Doc Podcast. This entire episode is me getting a little bit emotionally and mentally naked on who I am, why I do it, and some background story on who Chris, the Dating Doc, is. Stay tuned. Here's the thing. When I started this business, there was a lot of stereotypes and generalizations that the industry has. When you think of a dating coach or even a matchmaker, you do think of a middle-aged woman, sometimes more of that country club, golf club type of crowd where they're going out there, they're networking, they're meeting all kinds of eligible men and women. And their circle is a lot different than the circle I'm in. So here entering the, the service industry, the dating service industry specifically, I 2010, this was at a time when I'm trying to plug into all types of different networks, everything from the upper class Hispanic network here in San Antonio. I would go to the Stone Oak Chamber of Commerce, which is, it's it's a motley crew of ethnically diverse folks, but Stone Oak is what you would call the burbs, the heavy burbs of interior San Antonio. There's outskirt towns and cities such as the Dominion where a lot of the San Antonio Spurs and celebrities live. You have Bernie, which is a little bit more country, country slash rural well-to-do folks. But Stone Oak, yeah, that was kind of my spot when I started in 2010. And it would cause a lot of friction with who I am and my identity and what I had to do as a business owner because I knew, I said, man, you know, these people annoy me because I know what they're going to ask. There's always this keeping up with the Jones mentality of what do you do for a living? All right. They want to know that first off, not as a way, some of these generally asked because they're good people, but I found that a majority of them, okay, because I did a vibe check on them. I could tell they're asking from a place of comparison, a very insecure obnoxious comparison, right? What do you do for a living? That way they can gauge how much money is this guy making? Am I doing better than him or not? And after a while, I I caught on to this. After a while, as in like maybe two hours into these events, these networking events, the champagne glass in your hand and a business card in the other, I figured out that's the kind of question to ask, right? What do you do for a living? And oh, uh, what do you drive? Right? They get around the question of cars. What they do is they start off conversation about cars and whatnot, and then they snake you into that conversation. They want to see what, what you're all about, which is funny, right? It's, it's competitive, but it's still toxic. So after a while, I get a group of guys and gals that they saw how I was. They saw that I was very authentic. They could see through the fact that I wasn't worried about what people drove or what they did. So I had a little bit of a following inside these little stone oak chamber of commerce or networking circles that i would go to and i was younger it's a little bit chaotic so i would i would loudly loud enough for mr mr jones right mr keeping up with jones to, to hear me when i would say i would mockingly tell my little circle so what do you drive and what do you do for a living and this is what happens either They felt offended. If they felt offended, it's because I caught them and I knew what was up. They assumed I was a young buck who didn't know what was going on, who could maybe get snaked into some sort of multi-level marketing thing they're doing on the side, right? While they're driving their Ferrari, 
cheating on their wife with with a little 19 year old mistress. I got that. So that's the difference between my approach. I painted that entire picture just to show you that as being somewhat of a, of a pseudo coach and also counselor, I'm a little rough. I will admit I'm a little rough, I, which serves my clients well. Because those that get away from the generalization of saying, well, he must be uneducated. And then they find me on LinkedIn, they find out I'm trilingual, I'm an army officer, I got my MBA, and I'm, I've been in the service industry for 10 years. But I'm gonna be me. And it's important that if I'm gonna tell people that they can be in congruence with being their competent self at work, yet being authentic to themselves, so they're not wearing that clown mask, I think I've done my job and I have to represent that way. So when a lot of people, okay, I'm not gonna name any ethnic groups one way or the other, but certain have generalizations about me that I'm uneducated because I'm a little bit uncouth. I'm gonna tell you right now, I have a passion for what I do, I help clients, and I've hosted over 500 events in 12 cities to connect singles. So make sure you check the ego at the door when you approach me for collaboration because I enjoy working with others, but don't come from a place of, you know, you're the authority or I have to leverage you because I have zero leverage, all right? And you see that. You see a lot of folks that do lack a little bit of that emotional quotient, EQ, emotional intelligence. So that that was just a story. That was just a little bit of background on who I am and how I deal with clients and both collaborators. Let's see what else we got. Stay tuned. Here's the thing, when I started this business, there was a lot of stereotypes and generalizations that the industry has. When you think of a dating coach or even a matchmaker, you do think of a middle-aged woman, sometimes more of that country club, golf club type of crowd where they're going out there, they're networking, they're meeting all kinds of eligible men and women. And their circle is a lot different than the circle I'm in. So here entering the, the service industry, the dating service industry specifically, I, 2010, this was at a time when I'm trying to plug into all types of different networks, everything from the upper class Hispanic network here in San Antonio. I would go to the Stone Oak Chamber of Commerce, which is, it's, it's a motley crew of ethnically diverse folks, but Stone Oak is what you would call the burbs, the heavy burbs of interior San Antonio. There's outskirt towns and cities, such as the Dominion, where a lot of the San Antonio Spurs and celebrities live. You have Bernie, which is a little bit more country, country slash rural well-to-do folks. But Stone Oak, yeah, that was kind of my spot when I started in 2010. And it would cause a lot of friction with who I am and my identity and what I had to do as a business owner, because I knew, I said, man, you know, these people annoy me because I know what they're going to ask. There's always this keeping up with the Jones mentality of what do you do for a living? All right. They want to know that first off, not as a way. Some of these gen- generally asked because they're good people. But I found that a majority of them, OK, because I did a vibe check on them. 
I could tell they're asking from a place of comparison. A very insecure, obnoxious comparison, right? What do you do for a living? That way they can gauge how much money is this guy making? Am I doing better than him or not? And after a while, I, I caught on to this. After a while, I was in like maybe two hours into these events, these networking events. The champagne glass in your hand and a business card in the other. I figured out that's the kind of question to ask, right? What do you do for a living? And oh, uh, what do you drive, right? They get around the question of cars. What they do is they start off conversation about cars and whatnot. And then they snake you into that conversation. They want to see what, what you're all about, which is funny, right? It's, it's competitive, but it's so toxic. So after a while, I get a group of guys and gals that they saw how I was. They saw that I was very authentic. They could see through the fact that I wasn't worried about what people drove or what they did. So I had a little bit of a following inside these little Stone Oak Chamber of Commerce or networking circles that I would go to. And I was younger. It's a little bit chaotic. So I would I would loudly, loud enough for Mr. Mr. Jones, right? Mr. Keeping Up with Jones to, to hear me when I would say, I would mockingly tell my little circle, so what do you drive and what do you do for a living? And this is what happens. Either they felt offended. If they felt offended, it's because I caught them and I knew what was up. They assumed I was a young buck who didn't know what was going on, who could maybe get snaked into some sort of multi-level marketing thing they're doing on the side, right? While they're driving their Ferrari, cheating on their wife with, with a little 19-year-old mistress. I got that. So that's the difference between my approach. I painted that entire picture just to show you that as being somewhat of a, of a pseudo coach and also counselor, I'm a little rough. I will admit I'm a little rough, I, which serves my clients well. Because those that get away from the generalization of saying, well, he must be uneducated. And then they find me on LinkedIn. They find out I'm trilingual. I'm an army officer. I got my MBA. And I'm, I've been in the service industry for 10 years. But I'm going to be me. And it's important that if I'm going to tell people that they can be in congruence with being their competent self at work, yet being authentic to themselves so they're not wearing that clown mask, I think I've done my job. And I have to represent that way. So when a lot of people, okay, I'm not going to name any ethnic groups one way or the other, but certain have generalizations about me that I'm uneducated because I'm a little bit uncouth. I'm going to tell you right now, I have a passion for what I do. I help clients and I've hosted over 500 events in 12 cities to connect singles. So make sure you check the ego at the door when you approach me for collaboration because I enjoy working with others, but don't come from a place of, you know, you're the authority or I have to leverage you because I have zero leverage. All right. And you see that you see a lot of folks that do lack a little bit of that emotional quote, quotient EQ, emotional intelligence. So that, that was just a story. That was just a little bit of background on who I am and how I deal with clients and both collaborators. Let's see what else we got. Stay tuned. Here's the thing. When I started this business, there was a lot of stereotypes 
and generalizations that the industry has. When you think of a dating coach or even a matchmaker, you do think of a middle-aged woman, sometimes more of that country club, golf club type of crowd where they're going out there, they're networking, they're meeting all kinds of eligible men and women. And their circle is a lot different than the circle I'm in. So here entering the, the service industry, the dating service industry specifically, I, 2010, this was at a time when I'm trying to plug into all types of different networks, everything from the upper class Hispanic network here in San Antonio. I would go to the Stone Oak Chamber of Commerce, which is, it, it's, it's a motley crew of ethnically diverse folks, but Stone Oak is what you would call the burbs, the heavy burbs of interior San Antonio. There's outskirt towns and cities such as the Dominion where a lot of the San Antonio Spurs and celebrities live. You have Bernie, which is a little bit more country, country slash rural well-to-do folks. But Stone Oak, yeah, that was kind of my spot when I started in 2010. And it would cause a lot of friction with who I am and my identity and what I had to do as a business owner because I knew, I said, man, you know, these people annoy me because I know what they're going to ask. There's always this keeping up with the Jones mentality of what do you do for a living? All right. They want to know that first off, not as a way. Some of these gen- generally asked because they're good people. But I found that a majority of them, okay, because I did a vibe check on them. I could tell they're asking from a place of comparison. A very insecure obnoxious comparison, right? What do you do for a living? That way they can gauge how much money is this guy making? Am I doing better than him or not? And after a while, I I caught on to this. After a while, I was in like maybe two hours into these events, these networking events, the champagne glass in your hand and a business card in the other. I figured out that's the kind of question to ask, right? What do you do for a living? And oh, uh, what do you drive? Right? They get around the question of cars. What they do is they start off conversation about cars and whatnot. And then they snake you into that conversation. They want to see what, what you're all about, which is funny, right? It's, it's competitive, but it's so toxic. So after a while, I get a group of guys and gals that they saw how I was. They saw that I was very authentic. They could see through the fact that I wasn't worried about what people drove or what they did. So I had a little bit of a following inside these little Stone Oak Chamber of Commerce or networking circles that I would go to. And I was younger. It's a little bit chaotic. So I would I would loudly, loud enough for Mr. Mr. Jones, right? Mr. Keeping Up with Jones to, to hear me when I would say, I would mockingly tell my little circle, so what do you drive and what do you do for a living? And this is what happens. Either they felt offended. If they felt offended, it's because I caught them and I knew what was up. They assumed I was a young buck who didn't know what was going on, who can maybe get snaked into some sort of multi-level marketing thing they're doing on the side, right? While they're driving their Ferrari, cheating on their wife with, with a little 19-year-old mistress. I got that. So that's the difference between my approach. I painted that entire picture just to show you that as being somewhat of a, of a pseudo coach and also counselor, I'm a little rough. I will admit I'm a little rough, I, which serves my clients well. 
because those that get away from the generalization of saying, well, he must be uneducated. And then they find me on LinkedIn. They find out I'm trilingual. I'm an army officer. I got my MBA and I've been in the service industry for 10 years. But I'm going to be me. And it's important that if I'm going to tell people that they can be in congruence with being their competent self at work, yet being authentic to themselves so they're not wearing that clown mask, I think I've done my job and I have to represent that way. So when a lot of people, okay, I'm not going to name any ethnic groups one way or the other, but certain have generalizations about me that I'm uneducated because I'm a little bit uncouth. I'm going to tell you right now, I have a passion for what I do. I help clients and I've hosted over 500 events in 12 cities to connect singles. So make sure you check the ego at the door when you approach me for collaboration because I enjoy working with others, but don't come from a place of, you know, you're the authority or I have to leverage you because I have zero leverage. All right. And you see that you see a lot of folks that do lack a little bit of that emotional quotient, EQ, emotional intelligence. So that that was just a story. That was just a little bit of background on who I am and how I deal with clients and both collaborators. Let's see what else we got. Stay tuned. You can tell this is very off the cuff. And I, I want to pretend like I'm, I'm talking to you, right? Obviously, I, I can't hear your reaction. I don't know how you're responding. I don't even know if you're still tuned in, but I, I want you to just get to know a little bit of, about who I am. Um, we've all, most of us, have gone through some sort of anxiety or depression, especially if we're business owners, content creators, a combination of both, right? Because our reputation is on the line. We are worried what people think of us. As much as you want to practice stoicism and being in Zen mode and humility, there's going to be times when we feel vulnerable. We feel like, are we imposters? Are we doing the right thing? I'm going to tell you right now that it's happened to me a couple of times. And maybe this is a very, (sighs) this is a confessional podcast episode more than anything I do worry more that my clients will stay the same that I do for example YouTube comment with someone who disagrees with what I have to say because one can hide behind the screen and one have to be accountable for but let's not kid ourselves you know it's not mutually exclusive They're both compounding stressors. I do worry if someone says, you know, I disagree with what everything you said, because let's say that there's someone who was looking for advice and they came from a positive place. That's a real critique. If, however, They're a Debbie Downer. Everything they do is critique, right? They're a walking Yelp review. I'm not going to put too much volume into that. Same thing with a client that does not want to help themselves. They won't improve. And they live from an external locus of control where they blame the environment instead of the person in the mirror. 
I'm not going to give too much credit to that. However, if I have a client who I see is somewhat mentally healthy and all of a sudden they're like, you know, I, they have the courage and the mental space to say, I don't really get much out of that. It doesn't happen. I'm going to tell you that it doesn't happen, but I, I do fear it. It's a reflection of how passionate I am to make sure that there are inputs that I'm giving them and then outputs that are derived from it. That's a difference, okay? That's the difference. I'm going to sound a little presumptuous here. That's the difference between someone who just wants your money and someone who truly wants to help. And maybe at times, if I wanted to make more money, I can detach myself from those worries. It's a conflict that I have. I say, wait a minute, this might be more money for my daughter, for college, for other things. But I'm too worried about what people are thinking about me. I can just drive on and push. But I realized that at the end, I could leave a legacy for 10 or 20 folks that can change their life, change their roadmap to how they find someone, they find a great person, they start answering questions for who they are as a person, and then they're better overall. I'm fine with that. Whether I, it's five or 10 people, I'm fine with that. What I don't want is I dilute my message and then I'm blinded by the dollars coming in. It's a struggle. Now, what helps is being military, I got that paycheck coming in. So that truly does put that financial security to rest. I don't have to worry about the survival mode of the business end of it. I can truly focus on the passion. But yeah, there, there is a little bit of that, that um, nagging feeling of what if I'm not doing a good job versus how can I pull money from these folks? So yeah, it's a, it is a struggle. I'm sure restaurant owners go through the same thing. Anyone really, I mean, think about it. You, you want to go through that struggle of like, okay, well, I need to market this, but at what point do I sell out? At what point can I give up enough authenticity where I can also make this a fruitful venture? So anyone that this resonates with, let me know. I'd love to hear from you. I think it's a cathartic experience to be able to share that together. And again, this was just like a very, very much a journal on a little bit about who I am and why I even do all this. wrap this episode up by reflecting on the fact that I just turned 40, bought a new car on Good Friday, and what's most important to me is that I'm able to sustain this feeling of gratitude, overall gratitude, and equilibrium in my life, knowing that I'm making a difference in people's lives, I'm also really starting to answer who I am as a person. I'm starting not to be afraid to test myself in other ways. For example, when it comes to the business side of it, I don't mind the fact that I'm going to dive into a feminist group who's going to have stereotypes on, you know, me being a dating coach. You're going to assume that I don't like women. Then I can dive in there and do a live speaking event and show them 
that we're all on the same team. I can go to a Manosphere content creator, and next thing you know, I'm streaming on their channel talking about the good and bad of the Manosphere, knowing that I'm going to get flagged. And I hope to continue doing that. I hope to continue learning how to garden while at the same time, hours later, I'm benching, right? I'm, I'm working out and not look at it as mutually exclusive, looking at it as it has to be one or the other. I do hope that I can study Stoicism, Buddhism. I can continue to read. I can continue to stretch both mentally and literally physically. feels a lot better at 40, I'll tell you that. And if I am awoken, truly awoken, not the type that you brag about, that you say you're woke and hashtag it. No, that can be truly woken to what really matters in life beyond social media, beyond this damn phone we're always staring at. How to be truly woken, be mindful, be in the moment. Just check out the little leaves on the trees. Stare at my dog for a couple seconds and look at wondering What's he thinking? What's he looking at? Why he's sitting there by my feet looking all cute and stuff. Looking at my daughter and wondering, what do I need to do to make her an overall better human being? Not a pretentious person that thinks they're better than other people, but an overall better human being. How can I restore relationships that are broken? How can I create new friendships and relationships? How can I make someone's day? in and outside of business and military. These are the kind of questions that I ask myself. I still feel young, I'm I'm 40, right? Again, I'm closer to fanny pack than TikTok. I'm closer to being a grandfather than a high schooler. And I'm still at peace with it. I don't see this urgency. I don't see, I need to do this before I die. I do feel that there's an impact to be made, but not from a, a place of urgency or memento mori, as the uh, Stoics would say, knowing that we could die any day. I don't, I don't look at it from, from that side. Steady rowing, right? I'm, I'm rowing that boat down the river, that river called life. I'm not, I'm not paddling, thinking there's going to be an alligator behind me, an imaginary alligator, and I need, I need to do it because I might tire myself out. And then if that boat hits a rock in that river called life and I'm too tired to deal with it I'm stuck so let me know you know check me out on Instagram you can find me at the dating doc T-H-E dating D-O-C just like the podcast name and if you are for, for some reason in the area in the San Antonio area let's do coffee coffee is on me Hopefully you like this. I would love to hear some feedback if you would like these just kind of random rants. But next podcast episode, we will continue on Myers-Briggs and learning all the personality traits of the 16 personality types of Myers-Briggs. This is Dating Doc signing out. Thank you very much.